dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in God's country crops far as I can see headlights on both ends of my day this country life is for me ride with us HPJ ride with us Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Associate Editor Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Associate Editor Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. You survived fair. Barely. <laughs> you're here. You're in one piece. <laughs> the kids are home. They're in one piece. And what? Grandma's already asking for a vacation, and she didn't have them for three days. so did they make some new friends did they have some adventures it was a really good fair from what i saw yeah for the first year it was pretty good yeah um she's not gonna brag on them but i'm going to because i think they're just amazing kids and i don't have any of my own so there we go uh let's see uh sean had grand champion junior photo i'm telling you kids first time out of the box and he and the photo that um, you didn't even have to point out the shot to him, did you? No, I did point out. I'm like, oh, that wagon you? wheel be, be kind of cool. And he <laughs> he figured it out. So, And he used my phone, which is even more <laughs> strange and odd to me because I'm such a camera person. But you know what? Um, I, I find when I'm teaching my nephew about photography, if I take the picture with my phone and show him what my eyes are seeing, He can, with his camera, try to recreate that a little bit. And while he's doing it, he's learning. Yeah, we did that a few times, too. Just because he wasn't quite understanding what I was talking about. So Mm -hmm. I showed him. And I also showed him how to use his fingers and make a a frame with his fingers and kind of plan out the shot before you even pick up the camera. See, he's learning all (laughs) sorts of stuff. And he did really good with those pigs. Yeah, the pigs turned out pretty good. Uh, They both got reserve class champions and... Can't beat that. He was oblivious in showmanship again, which that's just the kid's personality. He's got no intensity and no, (laughs) I don't know what the other word for it. He just is not. (laughs) He'll get that competitive edge. Uh, The more he works along with it. I've seen you running barrels. Yeah, he's going to (laughs) find the competitive edge. And Chance had a good time. Um, He's going to the state fair and pedal pole, right? Yeah, he won his... His age division, he pulled it all the way to the end. I don't even know how far it is. I think it's 30 feet, maybe. And he was all business. He signed himself up. He didn't even know where I was at. And he went up there all by himself. And I went to enter him, and his name was at the top of the list. I got this, Mom. (laughs) Apparently a (laughs) five-year-old. Okay, maybe I have it wrong. Maybe maybe Chance is going to be your super competitive kid. <laughs> maybe. And he also had the champion turtle for the first day for the turtle races, and he was second the second day. And then the turtle escaped <laughs> Saturday night. So we got, a, we got a runner. How do you have a runner turtle? I mean, doesn't somebody, like, notice? Isn't there it was, time? No, it was in the yard when it got loose. Oh, gotcha. It disappeared overnight. 
Dagnabbit. Sean was mad because he was going to take it on Saturdays <laughs> and see if he could win the turtle race. But this turtle was kind of mean and kind of kind of frightening because it would like fling its head back and have its mouth open at you. And did you get a snapping turtle by accident? I don't know. <laughs> it was a box turtle. It looked like the other ones, and the boys had them. Chance was holding his turtle, which is the mean one, and Sean had his, and the mean one kind of latched onto the other one and wouldn't let go, and the boys kind of freaked out and started screaming, <laughs> and everybody around <laughs> us is watching, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, so I just set him down in the bucket. And... Turtle on turtle violence. It's never good for anybody. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty violent. <laughs> oh, heavens to Betsy. So... That silly fairy garden of mine. <laughs> it won first place. <laughs> I think I'm more proud of that blue ribbon than anything that I've ever done so far. <laughs> and it wasn't the only one in the class. Isla went and looked. <laughs> yeah, see? And and the adults competed against the adults. The children competed against the children. So contrary to my fella's belief, I did not snatch victory out of the jaws of a child. <laughs> Oh, so everybody came home from the fair. We're all good. We're all good. Um, yeah, this weekend. So Saturday was the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I I think I have a special heart for things that are space related. It just, it fascinates me. Mostly because there is no way on God's green earth I could do the engineering or the science or the math that would get me into the astronaut <laughs> academy. Yeah. I agree. I'd be the same way. Like when they're talking about Buzz Aldrin, the man is a scientific genius. Mm -hmm. He just also happened to be a darn good pilot back then. And, and he qualified as far as the physicality of it. But his brain went way beyond the, the qualifications for an astronaut. So there was a reason why they all had the right stuff. Yeah. They were not just warriors from the World War II generation and, and Korea generation, but they were thinkers, too. And I don't know. I just, I'm fascinated. And the fact that Neil Armstrong left the astronaut corps after he walked on the moon and did all of his astronaut duties, he left it to live a quiet life as a professor at a university. You know. This is a man. He was the first one to walk on the moon. <laughs> Anybody else would have just lived and dined on that story for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And for him, it was just like, well, that was the mission. Yeah, we accomplished was... the mission. We came back. Let's figure out the next mission. That's what I was supposed to do. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of in awe. And so I watched a lot of the coverage. Um, Saturday, they had some uh, BBC America. They had a, a recreation of the whole three or four days of the mission. They had recreation of the events as it happened with archival footage. PBS ran a special Chasing the Moon with, with never-before-seen archival footage of the entire space program. It's a three-night thing. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, we... We put a man on the moon with a slide rule and duct tape. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> there is more computing power right now in the laptop that is recording this podcast than there was in the entire Moonlander. 
How on earth did they? You you look. I have you, no you start, idea. So I've been to the the Air and Space Museum and to Hutchinson's Cosmosphere. Space geek. I know. I know. And I've gone to those and I've seen those capsules and and you look inside and it looks like a 1962 Chevy or so. <laughs> it was the 60s. I mean, it's all analog. All of it's analog. And I keep thinking to myself, how on earth did they figure out the math of it and the science of it and just the engineering to make sure that they didn't burn up on reentry. Yeah, they wanted it bad enough, so they figured it out. Yeah. You know, and and I, I rewatched the movie Hidden Figures. I, I just love that movie. I've never seen it. So Of course, I haven't watched a solid hour of television for the last <laughs> five days. So, you know, I probably missed something. So maybe I have some luxury because I don't have kids. But, um, you know, Maggie Mayhem and I, we sat on the couch and we watched this together and course she sees everything in black and white being a schnauzer but um there's a the story behind that that whole movie hidden figures is fascinating to me one yes there there was a lot of racial things and tension that were going on at that era but two these were women who were using some incredible brains to do some incredible things and I take that back. I have seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't get their they didn't get their really their due until just recently. Yeah. You know? Because that movie's not very old, is it? No, I think Four we're or five years maybe. Yeah, in the last three years or so. And um I, I I think back then and I think what they went through in order to give folks like you and me what we have today. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, fascinating, fascinating. Um Speaking of going where no person has gone before, <laughs> I put a cannabis plant on the front cover of High Plains Journal. <laughs> First time in 70 years of publication we've done that on purpose. Now, I think there might have been a time <laughs> in the 70s and 80s when maybe there was some ditch weed that accidentally might have been. did not get cropped out of a field photo. <laughs> but uh, there it was, big and bold, green and white. I was nervous. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Kayleen, right in that story, I just knew that, and it's granted it's only Tuesday that we're recording this. Yeah, the day's not over yet, or the week. <laughs> I am waiting for the phone calls and the cards and the letters and the, the outrage and the pearl clutching about putting cannabis on the cover of the High Plains Journal. What are we, what, what is the world coming to? Mm-hmm. You know what, look here, folks, I don't judge. I, I don't really care. If you're pro-marijuana, pro-hemp, I don't care. My entire job, Kayleen's entire job, our entire focus is to ask the questions about how a crop needs to be raised and marketed and the the chain of whatever. Mm-hmm. That's our entire job is to ask those questions so that we write a story that you get some information from that you can make some decisions, right? Yeah. I mean, the information needs to be out there and mm-hmm. they need to have a source to go to and if we can provide them the information they need to find where they need to go to get information about hemp, I mean, it's as simple as that. So I think I was more nervous about that than putting a still on the cover of a wheat issue. I think that might have been year before last or so. I, you know, I did a, a story on a guy that's making um, whiskey in Wichita out of Kansas wheat. I thought that was a really great story. It's yeah. a really good use of wheat. I got more 
hate mail on the fact that we were promoting alcoholism on the front cover of High Plains Journal. It's all about a choice. Well, yeah. (laughs) You choose to do these things. I I just kind of want to go, I understand where you're coming from, but logically you're closing a door on a market that could maybe pay some bills on the farm. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at industrial hemp that same way. Yeah. Um, I also look at it as buyer beware, so investor beware. There's a lot of guys out there that may not have your best interests at heart. So um, as as we talked about in the story, hire an attorney and make sure you follow your state rules. Yes, follow the rules to the T. Because here's the deal. Oklahoma's rules aren't the same as Kansas rules, aren't the same as Nebraska's rules or Colorado's or Texas. So... They're never the same. <laughs> well, that's just it. So what else happened in your week? Is it all a blur of hot, sweaty, fair? Yeah, basically. Man, how, you know, I just can't imagine being out. Well, yeah, I can't imagine being outside in that heat because I was. I well, stupidly it, mowed the lawn on Friday. <laughs> it was good because the wind was blowing. At least there's that. But it felt like you were in a blast furnace when you were in the beef barn because on the when the sun was on the west side of the building... It just cooked everything that was in there. There really aren't that many trees that are shading that building, are there? No, there's no trees around there. There's like three around the horse arena, and they're not very big. Yeah, yeah. You know, I come from Abilene, where our fair is very much tree shaded. (laughs) (laughs) But you can chew the air. (laughs) Yes, you can chew the air. It tastes like grain dust. (laughs) So, yeah, the horse show took like five hours. I mean, it didn't, it was started early at 7.30 because of the heat and they were done by noon. And it was, it was different because when I was a kid, there was a million kids in the, in the horse project Mm -hmm. and we were out there till dark. Sometimes they even put up lights one year because there was so much going on. Oh, yikes. Well, I just, uh. I'm glad that they went ahead and started early. I know that was kind of a pain to get kids up that early for a show that wasn't supposed to start till a little bit later in the morning, but Mm. I think that was probably better for the kids and the animals. Yeah. I'm sure the horses appreciated it. Yeah. I I ended up going to a birthday party on Saturday when we were inside, got nice and cool, playing with littles, and it was all sorts of fun, but I sure was glad to get back, and I am... worked on a couple of projects at the house <laughs> inside uh but i did mow friday evening i start i, I started up the mower about mm, seven o'clock and um i ran over with the push mower a dead pigeon in my front yard <laughs> and it kind of went <laughs> that that's a noise that you just can't stop hearing so now all of you get to hear it as well <laughs> welcome to my brain i won't tell you my story about what i had to deal with being dead i'll keep that to myself uh, you know i am as cowgirl as they come but i just turned off the mower and went back in the house there's a strip of my yard that's not mowed <laughs> I don't care. I'm done. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> Dad used to, he, when I when I first moved out here and I was on my own, and after I bought the house, he goes, well, what are you going to do if you got a snake or something or a mouse or something like that? I said, I'm okay with the mouse. Snakes and dead animals? I figure I'll just move. 
burn the house down burn the house down walk away <laughs> he said that's not really an option for grown-ups he said this grown-up it is <laughs> um, but seeing as how it's just me you know you can do a lot with a shovel and ob gloves yeah pretty much <laughs> i used a pitchfork to deal with my problem yeah yeah as a straining <laughs> no um yeah uh, the the last time I had to do that, I had OB gloves gloves that went up to my shoulder because I had somehow picked up a pair when I was doing a story on a yeah, vet or something. Yeah, where in the hell did you get a pair of those at? Trust me, <laughs> I, I come home with some weird stuff. My husband has a half a half a roll that when he makes uh, refried beans or soaks the beans, yeah. he puts them in Ziplocs and then puts them in the OB glove and they're in my freezer that way. <laughs> It is what it is. <laughs> she should she should clarify. Those are new OB gloves. Yes, they are very new. <laughs> well, no, but seriously, um, between that, it, yeah, as long as I can go inside and do that girly heebie-jeebie dance <laughs> away from public eyes, and then I can immediately get a shower, I'm okay. But, yeah, I've never been one that's been like, oh, just pick it up. It's fine. No, no, no. There's some things you don't want to pick up. Yeah. Garrett, the fellow's like, why don't you want to hunt? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll hunt. <laughs> I just am not doing any of the dirty work. <laughs> you can do the dirty work. <laughs> oh, anyway. So, yeah, that was our weekend that was. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. So what happened during your weekend? Did you celebrate the moon landing? You can drop us a line at HPJ Talk and let us know. Or you can always call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. So in this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the July 22nd print edition. We'll have updates from the harvest field from our All Aboard Wheat Harvest correspondents, courtesy our friends at KFRM. Then, of course, Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets, and we'll have the final thoughts. So be safe out there, but take a moment. Stare up at that night sky with some wonder while you're loading that last grain truck and ride with us on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is from Jenny. There's gold in the green. Industrial hemp is coming to the high plains. Jenny, you took a look at what our high plains states are doing in regards to industrial hemp. What did you learn? So this was a story for our specialty crop issue, and I figured if there's going to be a specialty crop it's, that we're all talking about, it's industrial hemp. Yep. And much like the gold rush of 1848 did for um, America, I think we might be in, in line for a gold rush of the similar nature with the industrial hemp revolution that's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't want to be overly optimistic because there we also have to tread lightly with caution. Um, there's rules that change depending on state by state by state. But federally, hemp has been, industrial hemp has been legalized at the federal level when President Donald Trump, when he signed the Farm Bill into law, the 2018 Farm Bill into law, with one stroke of a penny, he legalized industrial hemp. Now, that said, each state has to make its own rules and regulations, and it can be um, much more stringent than the federal level. Mm-hmm. There's also some talk from um, the the law firms out there. I, I spoke with Larry Mishkin, who is an attorney with Hobart and Associates of Denver, Colorado. 
they are a law firm and they call this, they specialize in cannabis laws. So cannabis laws. Um, and, and Mr. Mishkin, he mentioned that uh, you have to be, you can't just be clean. You know, you have to be squeaky clean. And what he means by that is you have to follow to the letter your state's rules regarding the production, the transportation, manufacturing, all of this regarding hemp. Yeah. Um, one of those and the most critical aspect of growing hemp that we keep emphasizing over and over again is you have to start with certified seeds. And certified seed comes from a grower that can tell you that this plant generally grows with less than 0.3% THC content. Now, that 0.3 is a number that we need to live, learn, love, Mm -hmm. and and keep to memory because anything above 0.3 THC content is now considered marijuana and is covered by um, the Illegal Drugs Act. It is an illegal drug. Yeah. So... We have to make sure that that hemp crop stays 0.3% or below. Funny thing is, even if you start with certified seeds, what the data that so far being collected has told us, there are some environmental factors that can cause your crop to go what they like to call hot. So things like drought and heat stress, that can stress the crop and and it's a, a survival mechanism. It produces more THC. So we have to be careful about how we're growing it. We have to be careful about who we have working for us that's growing it, that squeaky clean part. You know, you may have somebody that's working for you that has some misdemeanors, maybe has a felony on their mm-hmm. record. And it may not be a felony that concerns you as long as they they know how to gr- drive a grain truck and work on some equipment. But when it comes to the federal government and the DEA, it's going to concern they don't them. like that. Yeah. So... At that point, you kind of have some tough decisions to make. Yeah. And especially if you happen to have labor that is um, squidgy on their immigration status. You know, we have to be very, very careful. So there's a lot of things when you look at your your farming operation and you're contemplating going into industrial hemp. um, Mishkin was very much adamant. A of all, talk to a lawyer. B of all, follow the letter of the law in your state to the T. And... And be careful. You know, go into it with your eyes wide open. There's a lot of people. Uh, Vote Hemp is a is an advocacy group for industrial hemp, and and they talked about the total retail value of all hemp products in the United States was estimated to be somewhere in the 820 million dollar range. That's a big old number for yes, you and me. That is. That could be a salvation for some communities. Mm-hmm. But. We also have a lot of people, just like there were in the gold rush fields, that are going into this thinking about how they can make money off of, off of people that have dreams. Yeah. So be careful out there. Do your homework. Hire a lawyer. And we're going to keep covering this. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's a lot more that we need to explore as far as this industry as it grows. So inside on page three, Jenny also has coverage of the July 11th WASDE report from USDA. Based off the June 28th acreage report, the WASDE estimate was for larger corn production and beginning stocks. This may change with July's updated actual planning information. On pages 10 and 12, uh, we have updates from our all aboard wheat harvest crews from the road, brought to us by John Deere, Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Unverfirth Manufacturing, and High Plains Journal. 
Don't forget, for added photos, videos, and the popular combine cam, visit online at allaboardharvest.com. And this week, Tracy Zorian writes from Garden City, Kansas, where their crew hosted some visitors from the Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. Laura Hafner writes from Southeast Colorado, where a bit of wind made supper time a little bit more interesting than she bargained for. Brian Jones is in Mineola, Kansas, and writes about harvesting wheat and wind among the big turbines. And Janelle Shemper writes from Kansas, also, where she said they're seeing high 80s and 90s and even 100-plus bushel ranges, Kayleen, and test weights in the 61 to 63-pound range with 12.5% protein. All in all, a very excellent harvest. Sounds like it. And we have an update from Lindsay Orgain, who's in Waukini, Kansas, finally on the road after their personal harvest wrapped up in Oklahoma. On our Opinions and Editorials page 6, Jenny has the editorial spot, with Blooms and Busts writing about the opportunities that hemp provides growers, but cautioned against jumping in without a plan. Seymour clearly reminds readers that the 2020 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee is meeting to discuss food products and diets. And Ed Hammond, President Emeritus, Fort Hayes State, talks about the realization of a $9.2 million investment in wind energy at the university, which is saving it nearly $1 million a year in electricity. In the livestock section, Kayleen has a story about the Cattlemen's Beef Board's recent trade mission to Japan and Taiwan to tell the story of American beef to the consumers there. And we have an update on the vesicular stomatitis that has been confirmed in additional Colorado counties, along with some tips for livestock owners to control the transmission of this disease. Don't forget, there's still time to register for the first ever Cattle U and Trade Show at www.cattleu.net. That's going to be July 31st and August 1st. That's next week, Kayleen. Yes, it is. All at the United Wireless Arena here in Dodge City. And while you're registering, don't forget to purchase those discounted tickets to our world-famous PRCA Roundup Rodeo during Dodge City Days. Come ride with us, guys. Folks, if you have a response to something you've heard or read, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. Or you can always call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. We'd like to hear from you. This week, Jenny caught up with Jesse McCurry, Executive Director of the Kansas Grain Sorghum. Here's a little bit of their interview. Alrighty, so we are here today on HPJ Talk with the Executive Director of Kansas Grain Sorghum, Jesse McCurry. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Good to see you again, my friend. I know. We, full disclosure, I think I grew up with Jesse. We showed cattle against each other in the show ring. We went to K State together. We're not strangers. We have known each other a long time, and you've always been a better writer and a, a very admired ag journalist, so I, I, it's fun to, to visit with you. You're already on the podcast. You don't have to butter me up. <laughs> it's already over. I'm, I'm in. Well, Jesse, I hate, to, I hate to stop the laughter, but I guess we got to start off with how was it getting that crop in the I mean, the it has year? been a year of years for our guys they're tired you know you can see it in their faces today not just with sorghum but with agriculture at the moment with the delays with the workload 
Um, it has just been late. You know, it's not unusual for us to plant sorghum at the 4th of July in Kansas, especially yeah. as you get into double crop, but um, we have been delayed. And it'll be interesting to see how that translates itself into acreage numbers from USDA, ultimate harvest and any sort of pollination and heat or other things that are to be seen. I was going to say, the varieties that they're planting, are they okay with being delayed or are we going to see some some scouting concerns here in this month coming up? I'm not going to pretend to be uh, an agronomist or a crop consultant. <laughs> I think that's a good question for your professionals. Mm -hmm. I don't think so, but um, I guess time will tell. Okay, okay. All right, big other concern for sorghum guys is policy. What's going on at the state level? What's going on at the federal level? Great question, and we continue to be very engaged on policy issues, both at the state and national level. Of course, the National Sorghum Producers has been very effective, whether that's on the PLC program and the reference price for sorghum, whether that's on the MFP payments and trying to mitigate some of the trade issues, whether that's with the China case or other uh, possibilities on trade deals. And even at the state level, we've got a, a strong leadership at the Kansas Grain Sorghum Producers Association that's been active in Topeka, mm -hmm. change in administration, trying to defend and support sorghum research funding. We do have a, a line item for sorghum research funding that's important from the water vision process that's connecting very directly to the Ogallala Aquifer. and. Um, our farmers are engaged in Topeka and in Washington and you know it's a lot of defense but it's some offense yeah. and I think there's been a few wins there. Sorghum does fit nicely into the water vision plan um, because it's the water sipping crop. What do you hear? Well I mean let's be honest we are the poster child for the water vision in terms of mm -hmm. a crop and helping everyone understand where we've come. I think sometimes there's some misconceptions that we haven't seen some improvements in terms of management in terms of traits, in terms of technologies, and while that's never fast enough, um, sorghum fits really nicely into this picture as long as we have markets. Mm -hmm. And if we can keep those sugarcane aphids at bay, um, it competes and is very, can be very profitable. Now, speaking of um, an MFP, we just got word that, uh, what is it, uh, $15 an acre now is the next payment to come down the pike? What have, what else have you heard? Well, we did have the opportunity to hear from David Shim, the state FSA director today, and a lot of the news is kind of being read at the media, on the media at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what I understand, Jenny, is that, that each, the $15 minimum, um, we're gonna be continuing to watch how that unfolds in terms of multiple payments and timelines as well as farm bill implementation to, to make mm -hmm. sure that we can support local FSA staff on what is uh, rolled out. I mean, and those dollars are very beneficial. You know, we, we don't necessarily want to be there with our handout, but at the same time, in the environment that we're in with weather, mm -hmm. with markets, with debt, uh, with transitions, um, these are critical farm program payments that are helping many of our farm families stay afloat. Well, and I know that our grain sorghum guys, our sorghum guys and gals would love to have trade, not aid. But if, if you could explain to somebody that's not familiar with farm payments like that or, or sure. program payments like that, um, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of pushback from the urban sector that, that may not comprehend why it's so critical to have those things, not just for this season, but for next. Our federal budget is 
minuscule on terms of what even goes to USDA and even mm -hmm. what does go to USDA mostly goes for food stamps and so mm -hmm. when we're talking about farm program payments we're really talking about a safety net you know there are years where crop insurance never pays out mm -hmm. and there are years where some of the ARC or PLC type uh, programs don't pay you also need to look at it in context with some of the subsidization that occurs around the world. I mean, the U.S. is not in trouble from an amber box standpoint. From a green box standpoint, the WTO, we're pretty responsible. Um, but it's there's a lot of risk mm -hmm. in agriculture that is not uh, as common in other industries. We saw that prime example this year with exactly. the flooding, prevent plant, all of that. I mean, you've got people that have to plant something to get something and almost everything is out of their control. Yeah. Um, Mother Nature is not always a silent partner as Kayleen and I like to say. In Kansas and in the Sorghum Belt generally she can roar. Yep, yes she can. Um, so at the state level we talked about the, the water vision plan. Um, we have a new governor, we have some uh, a new secretary of agriculture in the state. Um, anything else that, that should be on the, the forefront of well, farmers' minds? Of course. There's uh, a very competitive U.S. Senate race that's coming up. I think everybody in Kansas should connect at town halls, connect in Topeka, connect in Washington. Make sure that your top two or three issues are being communicated to your elected officials and candidates that are asking for your vote. Um, your ag organizations, whether that's Sorghum or others, um, are willing to provide data and willing to provide uh, answers to questions that you may have, but we need to be engaged. Mm -hmm. I mean, agriculture is under threat in a lot of ways and is a difficult profession. And at a time of urbanization and the challenges that we're facing, it's hard to hear that you're gonna have to work harder and be more engaged on things like social media, on things like advocacy, on things like your local town hall, but boy, we need you. Yep. And if we don't do it, and if your listeners don't do it, you're, there's plenty of opponents out there that are gonna take advantage of it. For sure, for sure. Um, so we've got coming up, uh, Wheat U slash, uh, sorry, we have Sorghum U slash Wheat U. <laughs> Kayleen and I keep- It's all good. <laughs> it's the first time we've ever combined the two U events. So Kayleen and I keep getting it we mixed are up. Not, we are not, uh, it's it's pretty common for sorghum to be mentioned after wheat. So oh, we can, now. we can handle that. It's okay. I gotta remember, it's alphabetical. <laughs> so we have sorghum U slash wheat U. Um, we're gonna be all together in the same meeting space, uh, August 14th in Mulvane at the Kansas Star. Um, we're gonna hear from you. Well, we're excited to support Sorghum U. I've always been impressed with High Plains Journal's uh, Sorghum U events, whether it's a Sorghum U or a Wheat U or an Alfalfa U. Um, the home headquarters for Kansas Sorghum is Colwich, Kansas. I think we've got a lot of opportunity to help more growers understand the crop in that Wichita area and that Mulvane area. And so I'd encourage your listeners to, to get off the High Plains Journal website, get on our website, find us on social media, register, come and listen to many more speakers that are much better than me to, to dig into the profession of what's at stake and what you can do to be a better wheat and sorghum farmer. Well, Jesse, I I can't speak for everybody, but I know that if I had my druthers, I'd much, much rather you be in charge of the sorghum um, crew than anybody else, because I know that you are taking care of our sorghum farmers like nobody else could. That is uh, 
quite a statement. I don't know what I owe you for that, but uh, uh. <laughs> we are lucky in Kansas to have had the education we had at Kansas State University, to have the, the mentors that we've had mm -hmm. in this state that have taken interest in developing us and the, our predecessors. At, mm -hmm. at all these organizations and so we're proud of the work we do and we can always get better. Well thanks for joining us on HPJ Talk Jesse. We will see you down the road and thanks for riding with us. We will see you at SorghumU slash WheatU. Listen in again from our friends at KFRM as they catch up with our All Aboard Wheat Harvest correspondents Janelle Schimper and Brian Jones. Take a listen to them here. Dwayne Thames joining you once again on the All Aboard Wheat Harvest 2 updates uh, brought to you by High Plains Journal John Deere. On Verbirth Manufacturing and Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, chance to catch up with Janelle Skimper with Skimper Harvesting in the west central part of the state. Janelle, sounds like uh, you've had some hot weather and a pretty good run out there so far. We've been really lucky. We are out here in the Scott City, Kansas area and doing good. We get started early in the mornings and been cutting late at night and the wheat's been doing very well. I think most of the fields are averaging in the Oh, high 80s, 90s, 100s, so it's a tremendous crop. The uh, test weights are good, 61 and 62 pounds, a lot of it. And I think the protein's been up there about 12.5%. So. That's pretty good wheat. Uh, you can keep a harvest crew busy when you got uh, that kind of bushels out there. Yeah, our harvest crew's very busy. So the combine operator's been putting in a, long, a lot of long hours, but the tractor grain cart operator's been working all the time, no breaks for them, and pretty much the same thing for the truck drivers. They're, they've been very busy. It's a little different scenario than what uh, you started with when you were further south at the beginning of the harvest run. Right, right. Yeah, this is this is a good place to cut because the fields are flat. There's no terraces. There's no ditches. It's it's you set the auto track pretty much, and you you get to combine away for the day. So it's it's a nice place to cut for sure. Looked like from some of the videos, you know, that I'd seen that you'd posted uh, to run uh, stripper headers, uh, leaving as, as much of that uh, crop standing uh, to conserve moisture as well. Right. The the blue headers are the only way to go when you're cutting 100 bushel wheat. It's, it's the best header made for 100 bushel wheat, blue, the blue Shelbourne Reynolds headers. Um, they work pretty slick. It's, I'm pretty impressed with the blue headers. It's, it's a good deal. As far as uh, harvest conditions, it looked like a wheat standing pretty good out uh, in your particular area as well. It is. Um, I've, I've cut a few fields that are lodged a little bit. Not not bad, but for the most part, everything's standing pretty good. So we're lucky that way. And and we haven't really had any heavy dews or anything. We did have one night where it, it rained a half inch, but otherwise we've been, we've been real lucky. So when you finish up there and uh, the... General Scott City area. What's next uh, for the crew? Um, we're going to go out to Colorado. So we'll be moving, I don't know how many miles it is, but eastern side of Colorado. Dwayne Thames joining you once again with an all aboard wheat harvest update. Chance to catch up with Brian Jones, Jones Harvesting. And Brian, uh, seems like uh, summer finally caught up to us uh, the end of last week and through the front end of this week. Uh, things are pretty warm outside. Yeah, it does. It uh, seems like we kind of were off to a slow start for uh, summer kicking in, which I guess is not always a bad thing. But finally, uh, down in uh, southwest Kansas, we got into a stretch of uh, triple-digit weather, and that really helped to push the wheat along, and that made for a rather brisk harvest pace. So there were a lot of machines that have covered a lot of acres in the last couple of weeks. 
talk a little bit about what you saw in that area. I suspect from what most have said, a pretty good crop. It um, has been a very good crop, I tell you, especially compared to the last year when we recall the, the pretty severe drought conditions, a lot of thin wheat, a lot of weeds, something that was very different this year. There was a lot of wheat that seemed to be on the 60 bushel of the acre. There, there were some fields that we uh, heard probably set all-time records for yields, um, always pushing up into even 80 bushels the acre on dry land fields, which is a pretty rare occurrence there. But just enough moisture content and some of this nice cooler weather a little bit helped that wheat finish out, and it was uh, quite impressive. We did eventually run into some rainstorms um, here, nothing major, but it uh, caused a delay on harvest and some higher humidities. It kind of made that tail end of Kansas harvest drag on a little bit longer than normal. But for the vast majority of folks, the state of Kansas is wrapping up, and I just uh, moved the equipment yesterday into Big Springs, Nebraska. So we're just getting prepared to start Nebraska harvest this afternoon. Sounds like uh, they're probably ready to go, but uh, you've got others uh, to the north that are ready to go very soon as well. Yes, it's going to be a little bit interesting how this plays out for uh, farmers and custom wheat harvesters this year. Nebraska had a very late winter, and they continue to be in a quite rainy pattern. So there's been ample moisture here, and it's made for some slower ripening wheat. So we um, have a few fields here in Nebraska that are ready to go, but some that are probably still a ways off yet in the area. And South Dakota is looking to be just about seven to 10 days out before much of central South Dakota will be ready to go. So it's going to overlap, and that always creates a difficult choice for a lot of farmers and custom harvesters alike on how they can uh, manage the timing and how you can try to be in two places at once. So we'll hope the weather uh, cooperates here in Nebraska, and uh, we'll definitely move across acres here quickly and uh, then move on to South Dakota. But there will be some crews here that will have to make some tough choices. Some of this later wheat here in Nebraska will definitely still be a week or two weeks out, and South Dakota harvest will definitely be well on its way before that's ready to go. So I anticipate there will be some split crews in two locations at one time simultaneously until things can finally get caught up. All right, thanks to Brian Jones, Jones Harvesting, joining us with an all-aboard wheat harvest update. You can keep track of the blogs and updates from all the correspondents, see the videos, pictures, and the combine cam as well. Just go to allaboardharvest.com. Again, the All Aboard Harvest brought to you by High Plains Journal, John Deere, Unverworth Manufacturing, and Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. For KFRM, I'm Dwayne Thames. Have a great day. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on July 16, 2019. Corn was up at $4.20, wheat was up at $3.99, milo was up at $3.65, and soybeans were up at $7.43. Hey folks, for the first time ever, we're combining our popular sorghum U and wheat U into one main event. All on August 14th at the Kansas Star Event Center, Mulvane, Kansas. Register online at sorghumu.com or at wheatu.com. Kayleen and I'll see you there. Next week's print issue of High Plains Journal is our ag finance issue with a story about farmer peer groups from Jenny Latsky. Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes July 29th and look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com.
Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day. This country life is for me. Ride with us, HPJ. Ride with